Hello, everyone, and welcome to Life After the Military, a show completely focused on reversing the trend of veteran suicide, homelessness, and problematic transitions by helping veterans transition from military to civilian life and strengthening the mental fitness of our active duty military members, veterans, and their families. Our show is powered by Pivotal Moments Media, an organization on a mission to strengthen mental fitness worldwide for all. Go check them out at PivotalMomentsMedia.com to learn more. My name is Lee Elias, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Howie Cohen, and we are privileged to have Pete Tingstrom with us today. Pete served over 30 years in the Army, which included enlisted, Army reserves, and service as an aviation officer. Pete's service as an aviation officer included assignments with the 82nd Airborne Division and multiple assignments in various Special Operations Forces units. Pete retired from the military in 2016 and he has extensive private sector experience as a government contractor, entrepreneur, and small business owner, and now also serves as the campaign manager for Lynn Mariano, a retired Army veteran who seeks to be the next governor of the state of Hawaii. That sounds like fun. Pete, I know it's very early over there in Hawaii. I can't thank you enough for being with us today on Life After the Military. Good morning and aloha, Lee and Howie. Good to be with you. Oh. Yeah, it's great to have you, Pete. And as we say on the East Coast, aloha, and how you doing? That's how we started today. How you doing? At least in Philly and New Jersey, in any city in New Jersey, right? In Philly, you got to add a a plural to everything. How's you doing? For no reason. How's you doing? (laughs) You doing all right? Cool. So just to pop off the episode again, we said this, you served in the Army for 30 years, retirement coming in 16. Share with the audience how you prepared and executed your transition out of the military to the private sector. What went well? What didn't go well? What would you do differently knowing what you know today? Sure thing. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. Cause I feel like I do have a lot to share with others with my experiences preparing to get out. And after being out now for six years, I attended all the classes afforded to me by the army with that transition assistance program, soldier for life. What I didn't take advantage of is doing that early enough in the cycle. And those that are just ETSing can do it up to 12 months out in retirement up to 24 months. I did it with only six months prior to, and so that put me a little bit behind the power curve to prepare for retirement. They also had offered other courses like Boots to Business for the entrepreneurial side of things, and I pretty much took advantage of every program that they had. There was other programs that hit for, I was at Fort Bragg at JSOC at the time for retirement. Higher Heroes USA came in, the Commit Foundation. There's a number of different organizations that also had their transition assistance program back in those days. And there's a, I saw online, there's a, a whole bunch more now than there were even during that time. One of the best books that I read, which was part of our assignments with the Commit Foundation, where they look for your purpose after military. A lot of people, like that's all they've done, especially someone like me, where that's all I've done for 30 years to identify what your passion is, build strong networks. And networks is one of the biggest things that I believe help people in that transition. The relationships that you build, the people that know you and trust you throughout your career. And so don't lose ties with those folks for those people that are getting ready to retire or people getting ready to get out. Keep those contacts all through your military career. Use LinkedIn. I don't know how many people through the transition program that I've met that just got a LinkedIn account during transition. It's way too late to try to build all that in your last few months or last year of military service. So the earlier you start that, the better that you have, because networking, I would say, is probably 80%, 90% of how I got my job 
Uh, my first job when I got out, and I'll go into that a little bit more, but it, it's those relationships that are really important that that help tell you about jobs, that that, that people vouch for you. Uh, it's really good. And a book that I read, it was called Designing Your Life, How to Build a Well-Lived, Joyful Life by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. This is a book that they assigned at Stanford. The most popular class at Stanford University is this Designing Your Life class. It has nothing to do with the regular curriculum. Everybody wants to take this class. And after I read the book, I'm like, wow, every college should have this because it's about what you're going to do when you get out of college. What kind of job? Where are you going to go? What is your passion in life? So anyway, great book and program with those. And then, like I said, networking, LinkedIn. Now, for me, what went well is during that Soldier for Life program, I was sitting there and he was talking about LinkedIn. I pulled up my profile and I was typing away and the guy was saying how important it was to let your friends and contacts know that you're getting ready to make this next step. But does do anyone have any leads? So I'm there typing it away to make a little post on LinkedIn and hit send. And again, I was only about six months out of re for retirement. And within six minutes, I had a response back from a guy like, hey, Pete, and I just left Special Operations Command Pacific at Camp Smith. I knew I was pigeonholed because I knew I was going back to Hawaii. I met this amazing woman, Gina, who is a special ed teacher out here in Hawaii. And I knew I would, in fact, she's the reason I put in my retirement paperwork to come back to Hawaii, get married, and live happily ever after. So I really limited my choices for post-job after the military because I'm going to the island of Oahu, Hawaii. And But anyway, so in, within six minutes, this guy emailed me back and said, Pete, yeah, they have this information operations planner position at Special Operations Command Pacific, which is the command I just left a year earlier. And... So I'm like, all right, I don't know that much about information operations. I've supervised people that have done that. And uh, let me let me take a look at it. And a lot of the requirements, I didn't fit a lot of the requirements. I was not an information operations planner. But I went ahead and applied for it anyway. And sure enough, because of my reputation at the command, the J3, the whole staff, yes, get Pete back here. We want him in our shop. And I ended up not doing the information ops planning. I ended up doing J35 future ops type stuff with the whole big new China focus out here, the Indo-PACOM AOR, and did something because of my reputation, because of my network. I got a job long before I got out. And they normally don't want to hold a job like that because the company is losing money by doing locking someone in that far out. Oh, so it was that a contractor a, position, Pete. It was a contract. Yes, yes. Yeah. A contract. DOD contract position in Hawaii. And so that is one of the things I did. I hit the easy button. Let me do something that I already know what I've done. And so that's how I got in there. I got to say real quick, Howie, before I ask your next question. I asked you that question just shy of 5 a.m. where you're at. And two things. One is I want to compliment you because your answer was spot on with kind of what we've been learning with this show about the tactics and things needed to succeed. And I got to know what kind of coffee are you drinking? Cause that is just so well-spoken for that. And if it was me Hold in the morning, the coffee. Would, yeah, there you go. Life of the military. That's what I would have sounded like at that time in the morning. But then again, you know, how he'll make fun of me for that. That's fine. Hey, he's uh, a special operator, man. It's like afternoon for the, for him compared to the rest yeah. of the world. Man. You accomplish you know? more I, by 5am than most people do in a day. Yeah, all day. Exactly. <laughs>
Hey, that actually was a, a, an actually a, a phenomenal answer. There's so much to unpack there. You, I was going to ask you why only six months, but you really just answered that at the tail end of your response. I, I want to just cover a couple key points that you made to reinforce them, because I think these are so critically important for anybody who's going through the transition process. We even like Lee said, with the number of podcasts that we've done, it, this is a recurring theme is folks lose their sense of passion and their sense of community when they get out of the uniform because they their sole identity is based only on their time in uniform. And so it's really good that you were aware enough to identify that and say, okay, I am more than just Pete Pingstrom office or Pete Tingstrom officer. I have so much more to offer and I'm going to identify what those things are and what I'm most passionate about. And I absolutely encourage anybody who's going through this process to do that. Because if you don't, you start on a downward spiral that can really get out of control. Go ahead, Pete, please. That's a great point because I always was concerned about being away from the job, whether you're injured, take that Motrin, get back to work because you don't want to be the pogue that's injured and not helping the team. I didn't, when I was getting ready to retire, same thing. I was like, I used to hate all these people that took all this time off, all this time off to prepare for the next chapter. I'm like, hey, you still got a job to do. And then I get in the same position and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do that. And the army's going to go rolling along. You're like working last minute. Hey, they're not going to be able to do this without you. You feel this sense of you're the only one that can do your job. Yeah, which is bullshit. We, it is absolute bullshit. Yeah. And I might mean, I don't mean that to you, but right. any whenever I, anybody says I'm so important to the job or someone says he or she is so important to the job, I just call bullshit. If, I, if it's I just too, not true. This goes beyond the military. I always like to point those things out. If in any position, you're the only one that can do it, that job, that business is in real trouble. Even at my companies, I tell everybody, it's got to be able to work without me or that's a problem. And it is a common perception for folks in uniform, for sure. Look, it's beat into us is we're here to accomplish the mission and take care of our people. Nowhere in that is take care of yourself. That's where as a leader, that's considered selfish, right? It isn't. But that's the way it's ingrained in us. It's in, it's taught us at a very early part of our career, whether you're enlisted or officer, it doesn't matter. It's take care of the mission, take care of your people, take care of the mission, take care of your people. I will tell you that's fine until you get to the point where you're exiting the military. And then at some point, and I would love to see it at the 24 month part or point is start taking care of yourself. Because if you don't, you could have some very serious challenges that you're, you and your family are going to face, which could have been avoided if you had properly planned, prepared, and executed a transition plan. And that is not being selfish. That is taking care of yourself and your family. I, I think that's really important that you brought that out. And that was very astute of you to recognize that because a lot of folks don't. I love the fact- Yeah, go ahead. Physically, Jesse. mentally, and emotionally, take care of yourself. Absolutely. A lot of us have been just chugging along and, like, oh, shoot, when my assignment at Sockpack, I spent a lot of time as a staff guy and I wasn't doing all the operations anymore. And, and I'm like, this is the time I'm going to fix my stuff. I'm broken. I'm beat down. I'm going to go get my shoulders re- uh, operated on and, and get all this medical stuff done that I'd put off for 20, 28 years. It just... it. I needed that. I needed that time to take care of myself. And you're exactly right, Howie. You got to take to be able to better take care of your wife and family. You got to take care of yourself first. 
Yeah, it, that was actually in my command philosophy when, when at the 06 level, both as a brigade commander and as a commander of the White House Communications Agency. As I was addressing inbound, they would p- fill up a room of folks who were coming into the unit. And that's exactly one of the points I made to them. I said, look, I'm going to do this. I'm, I am going to take the time to eat properly. I'm going to take the time to sleep properly. I'm going to take right. the time to exercise properly. And so I'm going to take care of myself so that I can do a better job of taking care of you. And I want you to do the, exactly the same thing so that you can take care of the people that you're in charge of or the mission you're responsible for. Whether you're in a leadership position or not, you need to take care of yourself so that you can be the best you can be and contribute to, to the mission and to the unit. And that's exactly right. right. It is not selfish right. at all. It is, in fact, absolutely mandatory. Another thing you brought out, Pete, and I love the fact that you did this, is uh, number one, you reached out to veteran service organizations and always open to allowing them to help you, but you still own the process, right? It's not like you were saying, hey, I need help and I need you to do all this shit for me. You're saying, I need help. Can you help me? I will take be responsible for myself, but I just need some help, some guidance, some direction, whatever they, the services they were providing. That is a problem for a lot of people, right? Because they let their egos get in the way. They, and especially senior officers and CEOs. They think I've had a successful military career for 20 plus years. I've nailed it. I can nail my I can nail my my transition and they find out very quickly they have really screwed up because it's a comp- they're not most are not prepared to do what they're about to go into and do and they fail miserably or they will endure a tremendous amount of pain. So the fact that you were open to saying I could use some help here and you sought and got the help I think is a tremendous lesson learned for transitioning veterans. But the key is own the process, own, be responsible for the outcomes. The VSOs are not there to do the work for you. They're there to do the work with you. And if you don't own it and you don't put the work in, there's at some point they're going to walk away from you because they have so many other people to help And they need people who are going to take responsibility for themselves, but they will literally bend over backwards to help you any way you can if you put the work in. Yeah, there's two things that I think are key with the VSOs from my perspective. The first one that you hit on is they were instrumental in writing up my disability package for taking my my box of medical records to into the right terms and what the VA needed to know about me and my injuries, both physical and mental, for the disability process. They knew the language. They were instrumental in helping me get through that. Then the second thing VSOs have done for me after getting out is that belonging, that camaraderie. And I have found getting involved in these organizations and giving back that there's a belonging there and I'm able to bring some new blood, new life into a variety of ones. And I'm a president of two of them and a treasurer for a third one. And a fourth one, I just attend as a member and volunteer at different times. But it's really brought me together with those organizations and give back to the community and other veterans that are getting ready to make transitions and whatnot and uh, lessons learned. So I, I have a real 
fond place in my heart for veteran service organizations. Well, listen, you just hit on another absolutely essential point in my mind. Again, we this is a recurring theme is a loss of sense of community, a loss of sense of purpose. What you just described here is you replaced that lost military community and that lost military sense of purpose with other communities, right? And one, whether it's the VFW, the American Legion, whatever, and I'm sure there's other organizations outside the military. In other words, you have sought out and become a part of other communities and replaced the loss of the tribe that you were part of in the military. But the other critical thing is the sense of purpose, the sense of mission you had in the military, you replaced that with other senses of purpose. Because I will tell you, when you peel back all the layers of the onion, when you look at someone who's having a challenge or someone who is contemplating suicide or someone who did take their life, you're going to find out it was a loss of sense of community and a loss of sense of purpose. And so the fact that you, again, had the sense to to do that is a key to success for a transitioning veteran. And great advice, a great lesson learned from Pete there. And then the last thing I'll cover here is the use of LinkedIn. And I completely agree with you. I think we should actually be training recruits when we bring them into the military, mm-hmm. and certainly the army, but we should teach them and have them establish a LinkedIn profile and then continue to sustain it over the course of their yes. career, whether it's four years or 34 years, because that the ability to use LinkedIn and network at scale. That's the key, at scale. You can talk to people, you can go meet people, but you can do, but you can be on an island, Oahu, and talk to anybody in the world as much as you want at scale. And so the it just incrementally increases your ability to network successfully. So really strong lessons learned here that Pete has just shared with us. And I just want to make sure we re- reinforce those, but hey, good on you, man. Hey, look, that's why you had a successful transition right now. And obviously you fell into it, which is, but you earned that because you performed well, you established a trusted relationship everywhere you went, you had a great reputation, and then you were smart enough to use LinkedIn and boom, something popped for you, right? It doesn't always happen that way, but I guarantee if you don't do those things, you're going to struggle. And that's why you had a successful transition. And that's why you had successful times since you've been out for almost six years now, right? And you're thriving and you're thriving because of all the things we just talked about. So that's yeah. an important thing for people to, to learn from. So I did start doing some research to prepare for this session today. And it's just phenomenal to me to see the multitude and variety of things that you've done, government contracting, consulting, nurship, and acting. So I would love for you to, so that there's some great stuff there for you to share sure. with our audience about, tell us about the experiences and what you've learned in those different kinds of endeavors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I hit the easy button and did what I knew. And that was being around DOD and being a government contractor. And so did the same thing I did as a staff officer at Stockpack, doing future operations and as a planner. And that continuity and the experience that the contractors bring, the command was very appreciative of the knowledge and experience in theater to make that job easy. It was nice and relaxing not to be in a a leadership position. You're just part of that wheel to chug along. 
After doing that for a couple of years, one of the things I learned is out of all the contractors were on the command, the program manager was moving to another program. And he's, Pete, are you interested in being a program manager? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll just do something different. And of course it came with a, let's see, what was it? A $40,000 pay raise. I'm like, yeah, let's do something different. Hey, go back into leadership and whatnot, working with the command. So totally enjoyed doing that job. That still as a contractor, as the program manager of the contractors that were working for the DOD contract. Then that contract ended, just like a lot of government contracts. And one of the things that I learned there, especially at places like SOCPAC, where they've had contractors for decades, is they'll have a two-year contract, a three-year contract, that company with that command in the JA, oh, we can save more money by using this company next time. So that new company is then needs to fill all these seats. And what better to fill the seats than the incumbents that are already doing those jobs in that command already. And so a lot of people just end up changing Pobo shirts in their company apparel, and they could do that same job if they decide to do it for years and years on end. Now, the one dangerous thing with contracting is those contracts end, and you may not be the one that comes back in. They may have something else in mind. So what happened then is another, that contract had ended, another company got it, but then my company wanted to keep me. And so they had another opportunity at US Army Pacific with a brand new intelligence contract and said, hey Pete, will you be the hiring manager and work with the program manager for this new one and keep the same pay and, and whatnot? And I'm like, yeah, sure, stay with the same company company had a lot of great benefits. And uh, hiring manager, I learned a lot. I saw behind the scenes on how human resources, how the talent management team goes and finds people, how they recruit people, and how they fill the seats. And I did this during that first year of COVID when Hawaii pretty much was locked down. And people like, what? I want to come to Hawaii and be locked down. And it, it was really a difficult time to do recruiting. And I had 110 seats to fill. And I realized wow. from that experience, the power negotiation power that the individual has that's hiring. And so you have to find the fine line when you're going in front of interviews. If you go into the contracting world, really up the company, know the a little bit more about what they're doing. Talk to some people that are there because your timing is everything. They may need you badly and they'll do whatever they can to get you, or they may have 10 people apply for the position and you don't have a lot as much negotiating power. They're gonna give you, so everything from your salary to bonuses, promotions, the, the vacation time, your paid time off, your relocation expense to get there, all of that stuff is negotiate, is negotiable during if they want to hire you they're going to make an offer to you and you don't have to take what they're going to give you especially if you've done your research on the cost of living like in hawaii worked with many people to make sure that they asked for the right kind of package and i saw all kinds of different people request different things and the company did not offer relocation unless you asked for relocation which uh, saved it's a cost know, to them. Why they're not uh, unless they're just so caring about their people, which doesn't happen in most companies. Right. Is uh, why should they offer it unless someone asks for it? Because that's a cost to them, right? It is a big cost to them. It cuts into their overhead, cuts into their their, their bottom line. And yeah. some of those bigger companies, they have a lot of programs like that. But the smaller companies, 
don't necessarily have that kind of overhead available for that. But that's one big lesson learned that I had was how much negotiating power you actually have. And then you don't have to just take what's in black and white. Hey, you're used to getting four weeks vacation. <laughs> a lot of them will start you with seven days. And you're like, wait a second, seven days. So uh, th there are some things that you can do with that. So after I did the contract job, that's when I actually went to that commit foundation and I read that live design your life. I'm like, wow. And, oh, and then I met, I met your brother and started doing some of this stuff on Magnum PI, Hawaii, Fiavo, NCIS Hawaii, Godzilla versus Kong, all the movies that come out here in Hawaii. And I'm like, this is pretty cool. A lot of fun. You could be any size, shape, age. They're looking for a little bit of everything. And so it doesn't matter what your age is and what you look like. There's a part for you in many cases. So I went and got a agent, joined the SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, and got an agent because only if you had an agent could you get speaking roles. And so started taking acting classes and read that book, Designing Your Life. And I'm like, wow, when I started talking about this, I got a lot more excited and it was a lot more fun than when I was doing the DOD thing for, what, 34 years then at that time. And then I got that bug for the entrepreneurial side, too. I had a friend that was looking for a place to get married. And because of COVID during the time, there's two entrepreneurial things I tried and two lessons learned. The first one was a buddy of mine that hit me up and, hey, Pete, the California fires, they rage out there. I know a company, they'll pay you like 800 bucks a day, whether you use your truck or not for water. And so I went in with a buddy here in Hawaii, bought a fire, a water truck. He had a buddy from high school that lived out in California. His dad was in the construction company. And I wasn't there in person. We didn't write a business plan. I was just off the cuff. Let me just throw some money and jump into this idea with another guy. And it was a flop. We didn't make any money. We missed the suspense getting into the fire program to do it. So we were just doing construction projects. And the guy that was representing us really didn't do us any favors. I wasn't on site to track what was going on. And it was really a big flop. And so a big lesson learned. Take advantage of the other programs out there, like the VBOC and the SB. The Small Business Association, VBOC is the Veteran Business Outreach Center, where they're in every state and they can help you look at business plans and help you with your articles of organization, all those stuff that you need to do to start a business. I went to the boot to business reboot and got a lot of ideas from that. So I found that I had a passion of wanting to do things for myself. So after that flopped, and of course so that flopped, I did that job while I was still a defense contractor, I did that on a job, moonlighting trying to do that. And it was- Helps you manage the risk at that point, It right? was too, yeah, it was way too hard to do. And, uh, and it's a good thing I still had my other job because I needed the money. Hawaii is an expensive place to live. So then another opportunity popped in my, in my lap when I wasn't even expecting it. I had a friend looking to get married. And what does that have to do with me? Well, we bought a house with on the Kaneohe Bay. It's got beautiful views. And this guy's looking for a place to have a wedding and do COVID restrictions. They could only have, I think it was 20 people, 10 people at the time was the max that you could group uh, into a group. They were either too expensive or they were already booked. And I'm like, hey, dude, why don't you just come to my backyard? And I showed him a picture and he's like, are you kidding me? That's better than everything else I've looked at on the island. We set up the wedding, didn't ask him for any money. My wife and I enjoyed doing it. We like to enjoy and entertain and throw parties anyway. 
And we looked at each other afterwards, all the smiles and all the happiness of everyone here. Wow, with the COVID and the backlog of weddings, there's like 1.2 million people getting married in 2022. We're like, we can get into this. So that's when I quit my DOD job and started really? the wedding business and this event business. First, we started weddings and the wedding started a little slow, but we're like, wait, we could do more than weddings. We had one of our friends lost, uh, lost our kids. So we did a celebration of life when my friends lost their husband. The celebration of life. We've done retirement ceremony, birthday parties here. I have a graduation, 18th birthday party this Saturday. I have weddings lined up the next few weekends. And all of a sudden, people just started coming out of the woodworks. Wow. I get to work at home with my wife on my own schedule. I'm planning a trip to Europe in July. We're just shutting down for about a month and going to go on a cruise to uh, Italy and Greece and the Western Med. It's something that through a network of someone, in fact, I'm not even the one that found out about this friend. One of my friends told him like, oh, you should get with Pete. He's got this great view. Maybe he can just do it in his backyard. And so again, it goes back to that networking piece and it fell into my lap. And same thing with this campaign thing that I know we're going to talk about too, how that fell into my lap as well. So that's a, what a wonderful ex- experience and great lessons learned. Look, I'd like to go back to where you started with the with the negotiations. And I think this is really important for transitioning veterans because, again, this is not a skill we instinctively have, most of us, period, certainly not in the military. Because in the military, you know exactly what you're going to get when, when you go to a unit, you know who your chain of command is, what your responsibilities are. You have a budget to work with. You have people to work with. Everything's pretty well defined. It's a question of how well do you manage and lead that group. And so we don't have really much of an opportunity to negotiate in the in the strict definition of negotiation. Everything's a negotiation in life. But in the military, you're not really negotiating much. You're just executing, right? Or figuring out how to do more with less. But when you go into the private sector, and that's even true to some degree in the public sector, but certainly in the private sector is, and Pete said it, everything is negotiable. Your salary, your your pay, like you said, pay time off. Your ins- if you're even looking to use mental me- or medical, medical dental, dental education, I can list off a whole litany of stuff. Yeah. What I would offer to you is you've got to define for you the critical things that are important to you and your family and your wife and or your spouse needs to be a part of that discussion because it you tend to think that salary is the most important and that's not necessarily true. Like for me, it was the culture of the organization that was most important. But the point is list out all the different things that are important to you. Right. And as you start looking at different job opportunities and you have discussions and if you get to the point where they're actually giving you a job offer, remember if you think you are worth a little bit more than they're offering, then you should be asking for that. If you if they're offering you two weeks and you want four weeks of paid time off, you ask for that. If getting an additional level of education is important to you, then you need to ask for that. And it's okay to ask for that. Hey, the worst that could happen is they say no, but you're, everything is negotiable. And unless you understand that and change your mindset, because it's really a mindset change, that you and, and here's the other thing: practice it. 
right? Do some role playing and practice it. And if you are part, if you have some VSOs, some veteran service organization that you're working with, many times they offer negotiation classes and role plays, whatever. But that's, I think that's a really important thing that is counterintuitive to those of us who come out of the uniform. Because we don't, we, we're just used to, hey, you're, you get orders to go X place, you go. And you report in and you do this and you do what you're told. So it's very easy. And I was one of them. I got an offer and I took the offer pretty much that they gave me. And I realized within about two or three months, when I started comparing what I was making with some other yeah. people, I'm saying, holy shit, I screwed this up. Yeah. But more importantly, it wasn't even so much about me comparing to others. It's that I felt like I brought a certain amount of value based on my experience and my work ethic. And I feel like I, I felt like I undervalued myself. So it wasn't even so much that, well, so I was making 50,000 more than me. So I need to ask for more is that I gave myself away here. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to go back into my company leadership and say, and have a very candid conversation with yes. them and say, Hey, look, I'm not looking to move to another job. I really love it here. I like you as a boss and the CEO who, by the way, I work for again now in another capacity, but, but I feel like I undervalued myself and yeah, we had and a it, very candid, honest conversation. And because of the quality of leader, he and Bob Morgan were, he said, Howie, I understand. Give me a couple of days to, to do a little bit of, do a, bit, a little bit of homework and I'll come back. And he did come back to me and I got a fairly significant raise, but you got to be willing to have those conversations. And the more importantly, understand what your value is. Now let's talk about that for a second, because you brought up a couple of things I think are really important, right? And that is that you're looking for these jobs to make yourself the most competitive for position you possibly can is your ability to translate, not even just in the resume, but to be able to verbally translate what you did in the military to what, and more importantly, to what the value you can bring to your future employer in these job interviews, right? Yeah. And it's not just about leading a certain number of people. And they, if you want to make yourself really appealing to a potential employer, be able to communicate in a very concise and clear way based on the research you've done about that company. Okay. Here's how I think I can help you accomplish. You, you, it looks to me like you're challenged in these areas. I think I can help you in these areas based on my experience doing this and this. And here's how I think I can help you. So it's about learning to, first of all, do the research on the company that you're interviewing with, and then learn how to translate your experience and your knowledge and your skills and abilities in a way that they'll see value and you'll make yourself more attractive yes. to, to the folks you're interviewing with. That makes that sense. is the most important. I'm glad you brought that up because that to me is the most important lesson learned that I had that really jumped out at me as a hiring manager. I don't know how many resumes I saw where they didn't do that. They just threw stuff in there about their career. They didn't take a look at the position description of the job that they're applying for and tailor that. So everyone has a general resume that covers your different stuff. There's all kinds of different formats out there. So it doesn't really matter what format you use. However, when you apply for a job, you need to tailor your resume to that job. Look at what they're saying that job entails. Look at the qualifications, the minimum qualifications and the preferred qualifications. And then in your bottom line up front, 
you put in there, how you meet and exceed all those qualifications, because they're going to read that first. And when they get 20 resumes for that one position, you don't say any of that. You may be the best one qualified out there. That resume is going to get passed and you're not even going to get a chance to interview. And so you got to make sure that you take a look at those. That position description is so important to tailor your resume to that in order to get that interview. And then during the interview, exactly what you said, you're expounding on how you, how that company is going to benefit from having you on their team and what you bring that that position asks for and how you meet or exceed that position. And sometimes it turns them off when I've had people interview, yeah, I want to replace your job or I want to be the CEO. You know, like they care less about the position. They just want their foot in the door to go do something different. And you can see the difference between that person and someone that just focused on that job and then let their actions speak for themselves after they get hired. Oh, man, this is a guy that wants to move up and move into program management and leadership. Uh, but that, yeah, that resume, super important to make it to that next step for the interview. Yeah, no, it's a, you're bringing out so many really, I think, critical lessons learned for folks who are going through or about to go through the, the transition process. So let me transition to, because this is fascinating to me is, and again, Lee mentioned this in the, in the introduction, but you very recently took a position as a campaign manager for for Lynn Mariano, who, interestingly enough, is an Army veteran himself. I think he was a warrant officer, if I remember correctly. Uh, he was a commission officer. Yeah. Oh, okay. But but Lynn Mariano is seeking election as the next governor of Hawaii. And so I'm very interested to, for you to share with our audience, because look, this is something that that might actually be interesting to folks if they want to get into the political realm. Not sure why you'd want to do that, but that's everybody has their own thing, right? No, but, don't do it. <laughs> but but uh, listen, I think it could be fascinating uh, for folks to understand what prompted you to take this role. What are you doing and how, and, and how are you enjoying it? Yeah, so... I decided to live in Hawaii. My my wife's family lives here as well. They retired out here in Hawaii. And so we're here for at least the next 10, 15 years or so, if not forever, and get a house somewhere else and always keep our place here. We love it here. And but there's a lot of issues in Hawaii. They're near 49th, 50th, and just about every category of government, the roads like it's beautiful weather and it's beautiful scenery, but there's a lot of issues in Hawaii. It's almost like a banana republic, a third country. It, it doesn't feel like you're part of the United States sometimes. And so there's a lot of issues here, and I've decided to retire here. Through networking, this guy was part of the Special Forces Association, another 501c19 veteran service organization, where he serves as the vice president. I serve as the president of the local chapter out here in Hawaii. And he, he sat me down. I like you. I like working with you. You're organized. I like your leadership. I like all these things about you and I'm running for governor and I want you to be my campaign manager. And I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> you want me to be a what? A campaign manager? I've never done anything in, in politics before, except for voted since I was 18. I've never got involved with sign waving and done anything remotely with it. So like I said, I got to think about that. So I actually took about a week and a half before I give him his answer and uh, talked to a campaign manager in Virginia a Republican in Virginia, a Democrat in Florida, and a, another Republican out here in Hawaii about, okay, what does a campaign manager do? And of course, at the same time, I'm Googling it and learning about what kind of experience and qualifications does a campaign manager 
need to have for me to actually do this job. And lo and behold, it's planning. Did plenty of that in the military. Problem solving, thinking outside the box, dealing with issues as they come up, being proactive and managing people. And I'm like, I've done that for 30 years. So I looked at all the other candidates that were running in all parties. This guy happens to be a Republican. So I looked at the Democrats, I looked at the independents, I looked at the libertarian, I looked at the, we have an Aloha Aina party out here. Looked at all these candidates that are running to say, does my candidate have a shot at winning? Because I don't want to waste my time and or my name and reputation or anything helping a guy that doesn't have a chance to win. And he does. He's from Hawaii, he's a local Kalihipalama, local who grew up here, wanted to get into politics, and and he got into it at a very young age, at 19. And the governor at the time and the mayor, who he had relationships with, Lynn, you need to go out there. Don't get stationed here in Hawaii. Go on active duty instead, because he went to the University of Hawaii, Manoa, here, and said, hey, go see the world. See how they do things in the other economies and people and whatnot. And when it's your time, bring that knowledge and experience back to Hawaii. So he did that for 40 years, and then he's been back for about seven back here on the Hawaii. Of course, he's been here many times. His brothers and sisters are all here. He decided to come back, and so I said, yes, I'll help you. It's actually been a lot of fun, something I didn't expect. You're meeting all these people, and you're setting up his schedule and going around the state, and it's just been a refreshing, something new to do. and. There's a lot of something I never really considered in the past, and I think we need a lot more. In fact, I got a Navy SEAL friend that's running for Congress, who was a Navy SEAL out here with me at SOCPAC to run for Congress. So we need more military veterans running for offices to to help out in Congress, to work in the Senate, to work in local offices, to get people with those backgrounds and skills and experience into the political offices. I, I was surprised as how many issues we had here. And the people that are in office have no clue how to deal with emergencies like COVID when COVID hit Hawaii. Hawaii botched it up big time and lost thousands of businesses and thousands of people relocated back to the mainland because they couldn't afford it here. And they just locked down everybody's lives and people lost their liberty and pursuit of happiness. And it was just a sad case to see here. So I decided to help this guy make Kauai a more affordable place. And uh, it's been actually really exciting and a fresh thing to do. And I'm still doing my wedding business on the side. (laughs) That is a fantastic, it's not a story. I haven't heard about a campaign manager in that form before. Usually it's a very high stress. Yes, I'm doing this. Before we get to the last question, which is about mental fitness, which I'm excited to ask a campaign manager about that. At this point of the show, every guest that comes on the show, Pete gets a book cover, book name that I make up for them. All right. Mm -hmm. So if you were ever to write a book, these are some potential titles for you. Okay. You ready Uh for this? So, so I can see the sun's coming up behind you there. So my first title is, it's 5 a.m. In, 5 a.m. in Hawaii. What have you done today? That's one of the ones <laughs> I wanted to do. Yeah, the, uh, the other one, I like this one. This one could be actually, I, I wouldn't use it as a campaign slogan for your business, but my backyard is better than yours. I like that one. <laughs> I would put money on that too. <laughs> so my backyard is better than yours by Pete. And then the other one is Hawaii never gets cold. You said that's, yeah. you could go to Minnesota in the middle of the winter when it's minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit and be like, hey, look, Hawaii never gets cold. 
and it's cold here, deadly. So those are your book covers, but it sounds like the winners. My backyard is better than yours. I love when you do this, man. <laughs> uh, you're gonna have to send us a picture of this backyard now, by the way. We'll put it up All for right. our viewers to see. Uh, uh, but okay. again, Pete, the sun's coming up. We appreciate you starting your day with us. So the, the last question is usually the, the strong one. So look, our uh, parent company, Pivotal Moments Media, uh, we're seeking to strengthen mental fitness worldwide. And as we say on every episode, everyone struggles with this at times to varying degrees. You live in a paradise. You had a great transition. But the truth is this kind of roller coaster ride in our mind is something that, that we all deal with. So could you share with us any kind of mental fitness issues you've experienced yourself or others? How do you manage it? And what do you do on a daily basis to strengthen your mental fitness? Yeah, great question. And like most things in the military, you hide things from your chain of command, things you're going through in your personal life with your spouse and all the divorce and issues with your kids. And so you have a lot of stresses, not only from all the tours and combat and whatnot, but the arguments and the finances and the things that you have at home. I did go through a divorce. Oh gosh, I forget how many years ago now. It's been 10 years ago after 24 years of marriage. It was a real hard time. My daughter wasn't talking to me. I had the stressors from the military and all this stuff was compounding me. And I too had PTSD. I had a traumatic brain injury, smacked my head one too many times on airborne operations, a vehicle accident, a motorcycle accident, had issues that were compounding inside me over years and years. And I never got any help other than seeing the local chaplain that I would talk to. I actually did a lot of family counseling with chaplains through my different military, through my military assignments. But I never really did talk about my personal issues and my struggles. And then I've also struggled to maintain my physical fitness, which ties back to mental fitness as well after getting out. And after I'm like, oh, this is going to be no brainer. I've done it all these years. I'll still do it. No, I let life catch me up and I get sidetracked and I got busier in retirement than I was while I was on active duty doing a million things and it's hard for me to say no. And so I'm helping this person, I'm helping that person. And I have this big property that's a lot to manage and take care of and a couple houses I rent. And so it just a lot on my plate. And I've offered my assistance to many others going through because I've gone through it myself of even living in a place like Hawaii, even when people see my Facebook, wow, that guy's living the best life. Wow, what you know, that guy's got it easy. It's a lot of work and there's a lot of things going on behind the scene that people don't see in those invisible scars. So I imagine it in a bunch of different ways. First one is my partner in life, like I said early on, she's a special ed teacher. And I'm probably her biggest student that she's ever had to deal with all the issues that I have. And so she has been a godsend in my life to to help me along this next chapter of my life dealing with these. One of the big things was to go out and get help. So the VA had a program that was six months long. Now they have some programs where people have real bad issues or deep seated issues could do in-house training. And I think one of the things that COVID did is allowed a lot more video teleconference type medical help that can get you help from pretty much anywhere you live in the country you can get this kind of help. And so I did a six-month video once a week, three or four hours. It was pretty intense because it was a long time as a group session. I didn't know what I'd think about doing a group session, but you learned a lot from others. And so you opened up and they opened up. And it was just a great program called Cognitive Behavior Therapy, CBT. It's a psychosocial intervention, helps reduce the symptoms of various mental health conditions that people have, especially when you deal with depression 
anxiety. And a lot of the things that I learned and that I use daily in my life is mindfulness and putting some of those therapies in place that helps you with relaxation, stress, help your body and your mind think clearly. The importance of yoga as we get older, our bodies are beat up to get there. And then yoga has a lot of mindfulness and breathing exercises that are included in it. I didn't realize the importance of that aspect. I always thought push-ups, sit-ups, go for a run, lift weights, to do those kind of things. And that all helps relieve stress and whatnot. But the stress is never going to end. You're going to have that for the rest of your life. And it's going to be a different kind of stress through different cycles of your life based on your phase of your life with your family, your relationships, your jobs. And that stress of that, that key 12 months from the time you get off active duty. Uh, and so I look for every opportunity to talk with veterans and hey, get the help, talk to somebody. And I'm part of the Special Forces Association and the Special Forces Charitable Trust hit us up. They've teamed up with this organization called Sound Off, which is an anonymous mental health support. A lot of guys, whether they're on the teams or their friends or their family, they don't want to talk to them about it. And so this is an app-based anonymous support that you can reach out to get assistance and it's to help people beyond the battlefield. A lot of people have those scars from the battlefield besides all the other stresses I just talked about. And that's the key. It's anonymous. And people are more likely to pick up a phone or to click on an app to get help. And so it, the process is that different people like myself will sign up to be a battle buddy. You get five hours of training to recognize the signs and talk to the guy or gal and help them out. And if you assess them with the little training they give you, then you pass them on to a clinician where they had 30 last fall. I think they're trying to get one in every state to help veterans with that. There's a number of programs out there like that to help with that problem because it is a big problem for the community where people just don't know how to reach out. And, and sometimes they won't reach out to their best friends or their spouse or their chain of command if they're still on active duty. So it's a great way to get assistance. There's no name tied to it. It's, a, it's totally anonymous to get that assistance to take them off the edge. Well, I was, I was just going to say, Pete, something I noticed about you early on in the episode, you're proving it right now. I've been real privileged to interview a lot of veterans. I've been privileged to interview a lot of high performers and athletes and champions. And the common thread that, and there's many, but one of the main common threads amongst all of them is that they are servant leaders and they look to serve others and they find immense amounts of peace from immense amounts of pain by helping others. And I think that's true across the board is that if you're listening to this or someone who's in a lot of pain, sometimes the pathway out of that pain is to help others in the same pain. And you seem pretty committed to helping other people find their way. In fact, when you were talking at the answer to the first question, you said one of the major factors that led you through that transition was I found this urge to help other veterans. Howie is the same way. He has a massive urge to help others, especially veterans. And he finds a lot of peace and a massive amounts of purpose in that. He said it on the show many times. He'll do it till he goes to the grave. I believe it. So I just think that's a takeaway from not just your episode, but a lot of them is that if you're lost, if you feel lost, help others in your situation. You may be surprised 
how that helps you find a path. And again, this is not limited to veterans, right? For this show it is, but it's not limited. This is something you can see across the board of mankind, of people rising up to help each other in incredible circumstances. And we don't talk about that enough in society. Society wants to tell you the negatives and the horrible things and how bad the world is. There's a lot of good people out there. Everyone we've interviewed on this show is a good person, right? You just have to look. You have to put your head up for a minute. And people like Pete are going to be there with their hand extended saying, hey, come with me, follow me. So I just think that's a huge takeaway for me as well. And you emote that it exudes out of you like, hey, we can help you. And it can be anonymous. It can be upfront, but the, the hand's extended. You just have to be willing to take it. Absolutely. Yes. Amen. And listen, it's back to what we uh, we talked about a little bit earlier, right? You recognized you had some challenges and right. you, you took care of yourself first. And by doing that, and even though you might still have some of those challenges, and I'm sure you do, it's just maybe you've been, out, been able to minimize them as opposed to them overwhelming you. And that's really what it is. It's right. Is how do you strengthen the muscles that help you manage it more effectively? Because it's right. I guess it's like an alcoholic. You're never not an alcoholic, but you manage it. Right. But anyway, you sought help to deal with your own challenges. And what that enabled then you to do is to free up space for you to then help others, which again, like Lee said, that gives you a tremendous sense of purpose, which again, helps you because you're replacing the sense of purpose you lost from getting out of the military. So it's it's underestimate purpose. And so whatever community you want to be a part of and need to be a part of, we all need some form of a community to be a part of. And you can pick and choose what works best for you. But but there's very few people that are very happy just being completely by themselves. Anyway, Pete, this was even better than I even imagined it could be. I will guarantee you that if, if someone who's, whether 24 months out, they're five years out or they're six months out, if someone takes the time to listen or watch this this episode, they will get so much value. And if you do, share it with others, because this is all about, you know, taking care of our own and and ultimately saving lives. That's really what gets me going is problematic transitions are the number one cause for veteran suicide. And you hit on something that was absolutely critical. You mentioned the first 12 months after you get out of the military, the likelihood of a veteran committing suicide increases two to three times in that first 12 months where he or she exits the military. The VA, under the leadership of Dr. Joe Girasi, who is a, a clinical psychologist, a veteran, retired lieutenant colonel, spent half his half his career, actually three quarters of his career in the airborne special ops community, is leading a team studying how to prevent veteran suicide. And that they have labeled that the deadly gap. What you hit it perfectly. That 12 months is what they call the deadly gap. And so whatever we can do, whether informally, formally, whatever, to help people navigate through that that deadly gap and get to the other side, you literally can save lives and minimize the impact on on family members and spouses. And, And look, it sounds like you've dealt with a lot of it. And that's what that's literally what gets me going is how do we lower the high rate of veteran suicide, homelessness, and problematic transitions. God bless you for what you're doing, man. It is really cool to see 
how you've managed your own transition, how you've navigated the different kind of opportunities to take care of yourself and your family, to include entrepreneurship. And and I can't wait to see your backyard, man. Hey, it's better than yours. And you've got a really nice backyard. <laughs> when Howie brings life after the military on the road and he goes, oh, I want to come over. He just makes sure oh, he remembers me too. that's an idea. Yeah. That's an idea. Yeah, we're live from Hawaii. Why? We don't need to be. But his backyard's better than yours. <laughs> yeah, you gladly do the show out here. That there you would go. be a great backdrop for your show. Plant and seeds. In fact, you can even Plant do it on seeds. a boat out in the bay. There you Ooh. go. Hi, I'm Ooh. Elias. I'm very seasick right now, but we're live. <laughs> Pete, you're fantastic. I said the yes. bay, not the ocean. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Listen, I can see that the sun is rising over the Pacific behind you. I want to thank you again for being here. This was your morning coffee with us. And hopefully if you're listening to this, you felt that as well. If you're listening to this episode, remember you can watch all these episodes too on YouTube if you want to see the or how he's beautiful face. That's always there as well. But yeah. uh, that's how you have to do it. <laughs> with that said, you've been listening to Life After the Military. Again, it's powered by Pivotal Moments Media. We hope you receive value from our podcast podcast we do every episode and if you did please like it subscribe to it rate us on apple Podcasts, share it with others let's get the word out because we really are trying to help everyone that we mentioned in the open you can learn more about our organization at pivotalmomentsmedia.com take the time to check out our other channels that focus on everything from overcoming adversity in sports how inspirational women can inspire other women building mental fitness in the workplace how artists of all types overcome adversity and strengthen their mental fitness. And we also have our Mental Fitness Education Center for more inspirational, educational, entertaining content. We're pretty committed to this. So for Pete Tingstrom and Howie Cohen, I am Lee Elias. Thanks so much for joining us and make sure to keep an eye out for more episodes soon wherever podcasts can be heard. Have a great day, everybody. Aloha.